fight for the future. This is the Geek Confidential Podcast. And Melody Ankles, welcome. Hey, y'all. I am so looking forward to discussing television and film this week. The last podcast we had, the Exploring the Female Geekdom podcast, which was a wonderful discussion that I really enjoyed. But it's been a few weeks since we've discussed actual things that aired on television. So I'm ready to dive into it. Mel, I have to start with The Walking Dead, the season finale. I stopped watching after, like, the first episode of this season. Mm-hmm. How did the season turn out? You know what? It got better because they stopped focusing so much on Negan. Like, Negan was definitely, you know, uh, a point of discussion, but he wasn't on every episode, you know, brutally killing people and just being ridiculous. So they let the focus away from that and started focusing more on, you know, our survivors, on um, the group at the hilltop, on uh, King Ezekiel's people, and it was more about how they're going to try and defeat Negan. And um, so it shaped up to be a lot better than it was in the beginning in the season. So um, as for the finale, I thought it was pretty good, um, honestly. I liked that we see most of it from Sasha's point of view. Of where, you know, she's gone to take down Negan herself. She gets herself kidnapped on purpose. And she tries to make a deal with him. And the whole thing is they're going to have this big showdown where um, Negan and the crew is going to try and um, negotiate for Sasha with Rick and the rest of the guys. So it kind of shows her perspective. And there were a lot of little flashbacks between Sasha and Abraham, who's dead. And they were were, uh, kind of a thing, I guess. Right before he died, I don't know. I try not to focus too much on relationships on this show. Because they'll which all hard... end up dead. Exactly. Which is hard for me because y'all know I'm a shipper. I love my ships. I love romance and couples, all of that. And this show, I just can't. I can't do it because I'm like, it's a, it's a zombie apocalypse, guys. We don't have time to be in love. Like, dude, have you ever watched Scream? And there's like the, the five rules to survive a horror movie. And rule number one is like, don't have sex or be in a relationship because you're not paying attention. So, and it's true. But that's not the point. But so then what does that mean for Rick and Michonne? I know. I like, I like them, but it, there's part of me, there's a part of me that that's holding me back from being like, oh my God, I love them. And I'm falling all over myself. Cause I'm like, it's a zombie show. Like I can't trust anything. Anybody could die at any second. So not the point. Uh, back to the episode during the season, Rick ends up meeting this group of, I would say like trash people. Cause they all hang out in the dump and, um, They have a bunch of weapons, and he's trying to get them to be on their side so they can try and take down Negan. So he eventually gets them there, and Negan and crew show up with Sasha, who they put Sasha in this uh, casket. And he's like, you got to get around, blah, blah, blah. You know, Negan's being an asshole because that's what he does. And they're going through, and at the last second, the trash people who were supposed to be on Rick's side turn on Rick, and now they're on Negan's side. So you just know. You're like, oh, crap. 
here we go. It's over. So Negan's like, ha, 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 I got you. Um, he grabs Carl, and he's going to Lucille Carl. If you don't know Lucille, Lucille's the bat with the barbar wrapped around it. So um, ends up not happening. They're oh, not going to kill off Carl. I skipped a part, the most important part of where um, Negan was trying to negotiate with um, Rick to get back Sasha and and, uh, Rick basically agrees to Negan's terms to get Sasha back and he's like, "All right, fine, you know, I'll give you Sasha back and he opens the casket and Sasha's a freaking zombie inside. Like, spoiler alert! And everything goes to hell after that. But it was pretty good um, just to see like the whole progression and um, where they stand and Eventually, all of the groups come to Alexandria to help Rick and crew fight Negan, the Hilltop, um, uh, King Ezekiel's people, all of them. So you kind of see that we're gearing up for war. And they they best Negan in this one. So um, Negan ends up retreating. They're like, all right, we got him this time, but we know he's coming back. You don't know how many people he's got. And then right at the end of the episode, you see Negan, and he's got this fucking army of men and guns and he's coming for him. So it'll, it's, it's a good setup for the next season, I think. So what happened with Daryl and Carol and Maggie? Um, let's see. Daryl went back to be with Rick and everyone. Um, so he escaped and went back to get with them. Carol left uh, King Ezekiel and all of them to be in her own little house and have her own thing but she ends up coming back to them because she always think... goes away and she always comes back so here's the thing in King the Ezekiel, words of I... in the words of Halle Berry I can't quit you basically that was Ezekiel like he likes Carol and he was always checking on like he would always show up at our door he was like brought you a casserole today got you some nice flowers and Carol's like will you leave me alone alone he's like nope can't do that like so I, I think he wanted a little Sarah a little Carol um and then Maggie Maggie was with um the hilltop with Jesus and all the rest of them um just you know recuperating trying to make a plan for everything so yeah they're all still alive okay so are you looking forward to the next season did it end uh, with a cliffhanger like that was I mean you said the armies were coming but for you was it as big of a cliffhanger as finding out who was going to get their head bashed in or were you um, glad no. that it wasn't that kind of a cliffhanger i was kind of glad that it wasn't that big of a cliffhanger because it, we went through that before so i'm like eh. but i i like that it has a lot of potential to be a really great episode and when they come back for the next season it's episode 100 so okay. i see them going all out for it okay dan Yes. The Walking Dead wasn't the only show that had a season finale. So did Le- <laughs> so did Legends of Tomorrow, and I was happy for like one day because Rip Hunter was leaving, and then of course news came out that oh he may he'll probably be back in the next season. Of course. What did you think of the season finale of Legends of Tomorrow? I had so many feelings all over the map. I really enjoyed like their willingness to kind of sacrifice themselves and stuff like that. That was cool. And seeing them team up with other versions of themselves, that was awesome. But holy cow, Brandon Routh, uh, before the show was like, it's a bloodbath guys. Just FYI, a lot of people die. I was not prepared for some of these deaths. I was not prepared for Jax to get an arrow into the chest 
by Malcolm Merlin. I was not prepared for Leonard Snart to create some sort of icicle to stab Mick Rory in the back. I like there, there were so many just crazy ways to die, and of course they tease Sarah. At, like she's got the spear of destiny, she could bring back Laurel, and things would be like she could rewrite all of reality, including bringing back Laurel, including bringing back Leonard Snart, the version that we like actually care about and not necessarily the villain. Although it's always nice to see Wentworth Miller. Um, but of course she chooses the responsible choice and just depowers the spear. And I was just kind of like, all right, I get it. It makes sense. That being said, please don't explain that to Quentin Lance because he's going to be upset. <laughs> well, but in her defense, she said that she made the choice and she did the responsible thing and she had come to terms with the fact that she wouldn't be getting her sister back. So I, I'm i okay with the, her reasoning, her logic. Yeah, but the next time they team up with Team Arrow, uh, Cass- or Katie Cassidy is going to be on contract on Arrow as Black Siren. What are you going to do then? Uh, I think that was fully explained in the last minute of the of the episode with the cliffhanger for the time anomaly that they well it w- like was I don't remember the official name of it was it a time tornado or a time anomaly something like that they come time back folded and folded in on itself and London and dinosaurs and maybe New York City I couldn't really get a cl- quick enough look were all in one place. I'm pretty in Los sure, Angeles. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they can explain away Katie Cassidy's coming back. I mean, they, like, uh, was it Mark Guggenheim went on record uh, with Entertainment Weekly saying there's going to be an explanation as to why the other shows are fine and Legends is not. They're going to figure out a way to explain it, and that's that's exciting. And they're thinking about... Um, Introducing the Kamandi storyline from the comics, where in this reality, where time folds in on itself, there's only one human alive. And it's kind of the last, like, that. that's the hero of the, the idea, and the rest of the planet is run by animals. Um, it's like a, it's a long-standing uh, DC storyline that's... They they're talking about addressing, but so Gorilla Grodd is basically going to be r- ruling the world. I'm joking. or or some sort of dinosaur, or some some like animals in general are in charge. It turned into Animal Farm really quickly. Um, so, but yeah, no. In terms of the finale itself, there were so many awesome character moments, and I got to give it to Dominic Purcell because he really. This was his week of just outstanding acting performances. Yes, because he was really good. He was so, like, and he's been able to, even though, like, and when we get to this, you'll understand what I'm saying. Because Lincoln Burroughs has, like, his voice has just become Mick Rory, and that's just kind of the way it is, I guess. Um, but Mick Rory, as a character, has grown so much and it's so fantastic to see like how inspired he is as a person while still maintaining his like tough and gruff and like oh i'm not gonna pay attention i'm just gonna sit here and eat things which katie or was it katie lots 
tweeted out that like, yeah, Dominic's starting to regret the fact that this has become McRory's thing is eating because he's really getting sick of eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he I, listen, I've been a fan of his since um, John Doe. That was the first time I'd ever seen him in anything. And granted, that was what, a decade ago. So I'm sure that age and everything, it, it happens to all of us. You put on a little bit more weight as you get older. I'm sure that if he's eating a lot, it just means that he has to spend more time in the gym. And let's face it, are there, most of us don't want to spend any more time in a gym than we have to. So I can understand that. I think it's more to do with the fact that because of multiple takes, he's eating while he's full. Mm, that could be too. Yeah. That could be yeah. too. Um, I thought that uh, his scenes with uh, Wentworth Miller were so good. And then, like, I watched Prison Break and Legends of Tomorrow almost back-to-back, and it was just amazing. Because you go from one scene where you're having these best friend dynamics of Rory having um, having to wipe Snart's brain, and then on... Prison Break, Wentworth Miller's character is like pretending not to be Michael Schofield. And so Lincoln is like, he finds him in Yemen and in this prison. And then Michael is pretending not to be the brother. It, it was just like, so we have parallel universes in which Rory has white memories. And now this is the side effect on Prison Break. It's kind of kind of crazy when you think about it, like the way that the two kind of mesh together so well. <laughs> and they they definitely have the best. Like they are my favorite relationship on Legends of Tomorrow. And I don't know if that's just because I like them so well on the original Prison Break. Then when they um, then as time has progressed on Legends of Tomorrow, they've really played up that dynamic. And then to see it again on the new Prison Break, it is. It's really, really enjoyable. But before we get to Prison Break, because I do want to discuss it, I think that what the, what they did by bringing in all of the, the, the two teams so that you could kill off people was a clever idea. I have to admit, though, that I made a very audible groan when I saw all of the reverse flashes. I was like, these uh, speedsters in the Flash Legends of Tomorrow universe are almost becoming as annoying as flashbacks in the Arrowverse. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And I'm really excited for the fact that they're going to lay off the speedsters next season in the Flash. I wasn't overly surprised that Eobard uh, Thawne brought back a bunch of versions of himself because this is the same move that Barry used to take down Zoom. I mean, it, it made sense when given the fact that both of them were able to kind of do that, it's just, it's annoying. It was really weird seeing like for as long as they did, um, you know, Ray and Nate were fighting them off fairly well. Like everyone else is kind of pretty vulnerable because they're not made of like some sort of metal, which the metal shouldn't even matter at this point because the guy can vibrate at such a high frequency. He can just put his hand through his che- your chest and that's it. That That's all she wrote. Um, and we saw that flat out with the other Ray Palmer. Uh, but it, it was weird seeing them alive fighting things off as long as they did. 
enough time to give Sarah to have like this weird flashback, like discussion with the spear as, as the form of Laurel. I, I, uh, this problem's there, but I, I did enjoy them trying to convince the other team. Like they were kind of in a hot potato mode where rip and um, Rory and Nate were stuck in the wave rider with the spear and Jax and Sarah had to distract the other half of the team that were outside of the, the, the other wave rider. Have you, noticed, was, have you noticed that they've been reducing uh, Stein's airtime a lot lately? It seems like yeah. the last few episodes he's he didn't play much of a role, and maybe this is sort of a we'll get to prison break later, but maybe this is sort of a segue into the Flash episode. Mel, did you watch the Flash's musical episode? Because I figured as a Glee fan that you might. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'm sorry. But I don't I just don't I don't see, want my superheroes to sing. I want you I, to fight and save the world and I don't want you to run back in time anymore. But I, I want you to do these things. I don't want you to sing. But I do really enjoy um Joe West. Oh, uh, Jesse Martin. Yes. He has a fantastic voice and I love him from Broadway, from Rent. So um, anytime he sings to me, I'm always here for it. See, but what was your question? Well, because basically The Flash had their musical crossover episode with Supergirl. And in that episode, we got to have Melissa Benoit, um, Grant Gustin, Darren Chris. Um, <laughs> reunited, the Glee cast reunited. Uh, we had Victor Garber was there because he was um, oh, on, in, in the episode. John Barrowman. John mm, Barrowman yep, was yep. there who he is. Listen, I have been a fan of his since Torchwood. And it's one of those things where I was disappointed in the episode. See, that's what? why I just want to see it. I watched it and I was like, maybe it was the setting. Maybe it was like the song choice. I, I just was like, I, in the words of Deanna Carter, if I was a woman, it would be like, did I shave my legs for this? Because I watched it. And Deanna I was, Carter, strawberry wine, Deanna yes, Carter. Yes, that, that, that one. <laughs> okay, that sorry, one. got your music, not the point. <laughs> but oh I love that album. I love that album. But I was after I was done, I was like, that's it? And I'm sure that I'm in the minority, but... After having seen Derek Chris, Melissa, and Grant on Glee and knowing what they're capable of, I was really disappointed in the episode. Dan, what did you think? I I loved the idea. I See, thought exactly. I thought some of the execution was okay. I really enjoyed Super Friends. Uh that that was a good number. Even though, like, I I think Rachel Bloom did a good job, but some of her lyrical choices in, that when she penned it are a bit of a stretch, but it's also supposed to be a stretch because it's supposed to be very Broadway-esque. So I understand that. And I just, I couldn't get behind pushing forward Mon-El and Kara as, like, a couple and also, Dan, you are just you are just insistent on disliking everything I like and vice versa. Hey, 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 I can't help it if you like bad things. 
Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Monel is a thousand times better than Jimmy Olsen. Just say. You know, I prefer Jimmy and Kara as friends. I, I have. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the character. Jimmy Olsen on this show has been pointless, but I digress. I mean, but back to the the musical itself. I I feel like Barry and um, Iris didn't really earn their reconciliation, and neither did um, Kara and Monel. So that really frustrated what you mean, me. Barry and Iris didn't earn their reconciliation. You know how many times this fool ran back in time and screwed things up? They earned it. Uh, that, that's exactly why I feel like they didn't earn it because he just keeps screwing with like he, he doesn't trust her but, enough to tell her the truth. If like, you I, can continually find each other in multiple universes after multiple time changes and timelines, you deserve it. I agree with you, but not necessarily in the fantasy world of this episode. If this was like them not be laying on a table, like if this was not Supergirl and the Flash laying on a table and all of this happening in their heads, I would totally agree with you. But the way it was executed, it came across as sort of what Dan's saying, where it didn't feel earned because it was all fictitious in their heads. I ain't seen it yet, but you know, that's my ship, so. In multiple universes and timelines, he's still keeping the truth from her in, like, all sorts of various aspects, whether it's, oh, I changed time, oh, I'm proposing to you, but not with, like, the most altruistic intentions behind it. I mean, there's so many instances where Barry's keeping things from Iris, Everyone's keeping things from Joe. No one talks to one another. No one communicates. And it, it ends up biting them every single time. Well, like, if they all did that, then we wouldn't have a show, would we? I, I guess. But, I mean, it, it just it, it makes all of these, like, reunions feel less earned because so much of what happened in that episode in particular was inside of Barry and Kara's head and everyone else wasn't really privy to that. So it it's it's complicated. And then you got Darren Chris, who is fantastic he and I love he was so good as Music Meister. It was so like and I loved him in interviews talking about it where he's like, yeah, I guess I'm just going to replace all of Neil Patrick Harris's roles because Neil Patrick Harris voiced uh, Music Meister in Batman the Brave and the Bold. So it's kind of one of those cool like, OK, they're both singing people. They're both Broadway people. This is great. This is awesome. Um, but he was so good. But at the very end, he's like, yeah, I'm not actually evil. Bye. And then just disappears. I'm like. What the heck? What are we supposed to do with this? Where where did he go? What's his deal? Now there's just someone out there just messing with things. All right, I guess this is okay. This is fine. And then there's so much going on in the Flash as is with Caitlin and Julian and all of their business. That's is that story else. not connecting for anyone else? Because I just, I'm not feeling it. Like, I like Julian as a character, finally, but I don't think they have any chemistry whatsoever. Yeah. They don't yeah. have And it's chemistry. just not, it's not doing anything it, for me. 
I feel like if they if they would not try and pursue a romantic angle, but have them be intellectual rivals who like feed each other's intellect in terms of like sparring, if they kept it at that level, it would be fine. But they don't have romantic chemistry. Uh, before we move on to Prison Break, Dan, I want to just suggest one thing. When I yes. was watching Darren Chris as Music Meister. The thing that crossed my mind is I would really like to see a music meister, and forgive me because I'm going to mispronounce this, Mr. Mizzlepick, team up. I, I, Can I, you I, imagine the awesomeness of that? That would that would be epic. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. But yes, no, that would be epic. And kind of further on our previous point, I think Julian has more chemistry with... Um, Oh, uh, Killer Frost. That that in of itself is crazy because they just seem like two. Forgive me for the pun, but polar opposites. Okay. Man, that was a bad pun. Okay. <laughs> uh, let, before we get to Riverdale, before we get to Riverdale, let's talk a little bit about Prison Break. Dan, okay. I know you were looking forward to this as much as I was. What did you think? I loved it. I loved every second of it. I know a lot of people were like, all right, they're setting everything up again. Oh, he's stuck in a prison. But like, there's so many elements of like current politics and the world and cultures and all sorts of different things like that in play that weren't necessarily in play before that kind of add a new texture to this formula. And it's fantastic. And I really, I really like how, even though it's been a few years, Sarah still has in her a lot of the survival instincts. She's got that... a spine of steel. She was like, hubby, get that gun as fast as you can. And she went and ran up to find her son as the assassin comes in, shoots her husband in the leg, and then comes up the stairs for her. And she was taking apart some sort of, like, towel rack to try and stab this guy with. And then she tells her son, like, I'm going to stab this lady. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And I love how they brought basically the entire cast of former prison inmates back into the picture. I loved it. And the teabag story, the episode basically opens with him as, like, one of the first major scenes. Yeah. And the guard saying, you must have some pretty powerful friends to be getting out early. I was I like, company. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we know where this is headed. And I realized that they may have just hit us over the head with a dumbbell, but I may, I will be shocked if we do not see some things from the past popping up. I agree 100%. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, all right, there's no conceivable way T-Bag gets out on his own just with all of the crimes that he committed. There's no way. So we need to suspend our disbelief for this one aspect so that everything else could function properly. One, if one of the novels that I'm writing ever came to fruition, I, when I think of a person who would play like the perfect villain, he would be in it. Oh, yeah. Because he is just fantastic. And now with his new uh, cybernetic hand, that guy is going to be making some power moves. Yes. Mostly strangling. <laughs> uh, 
Mel, yeah. let's talk a little bit about Riverdale. It's been a few weeks since we discussed it. What are you thinking of how good it is? I put on Twitter, this is the teen soap that I didn't know I needed post-Gossip <laughs> Girl. And it's really true. The only thing that is missing from Riverdale is a Chuck Bass. That's how much I'm enjoying it. And Archie is a way better Nate Archibald than Nate Archibald. Now, as Jamie would point out, Archie is the basis upon which Gossip Girl exists, so there's that. But what are you thinking of the episodes? So I'm really enjoying it. I binged um, a couple episodes last night so I could be almost caught up. I didn't quite get to the last one. But from what I'm seeing, I'm really loving. I love that they went and found Polly. And she's pregnant because, of course, she's pregnant. Because it was this moment of, oh, they sent her to be with the nuns. And I was like, oh, oh, she's totally pregnant. She has to be pregnant. <laughs> she turned around and I was like, yes, yes, I knew it. And it was great. I feel like it had the right amount of drama. And we got that really fantastic old school bitches going shade for shade at each other. Um, Betty's mom and Mrs. the redhead's mom. Oh, my God. I lived my life for that scene last night. I was like, yes, they are going toe-to-toe, tit-for-tat. This is everything I love about soaps. Yes, that was great. Um, I even like the B stories of with um, Josie and the Pussycats and how, you know, they're a group, but Archie wants to work with them at the same time. And they're just like, no, you messing up our groove. But I, I like that a lot, too. Um, let's see, Jughead and Betty. Uh, see, I'm shipping them. I'm totally uh, shipping them. I ship them. I totally ship them. I don't, uh, Get on I'm board the ship, yet. Mel. Get on board I'm the not, ship. I'm not there. Like y'all are on the ship and y'all are waving and having drinks on the deck, and I'm on. I'm on the bottom. Like. Ugh. I don't know if I want to get on this ship or not. It's okay, but uh, I'm gonna give it a little more time. Maybe, maybe it'll grow on me a little bit more. Right now, I'm not exactly feeling it. I do like the introduction of Jughead's dad, FP, who is a notorious guy who always plays. He normally plays villain. This actor normally plays villains because I saw him and I was like. Weren't you the bad guy on Scream and the Crab? And I was just like, just going and going and going. But I think he's a really good um, addition to the cast, and he's a great juxtaposition between um, Archie's dad, who's trying to do the right thing, and you know he's got a couple of Fred um, and Hermione. Yes, he's got, he got a lot of problems there. So I like all of the little side stories too. Like this show is really coming together. I'm here for it. Great job. Dan, in the latest episode, the Blossoms were facing a crisis because Cheryl's brother, Jason, is dead and they don't have a, a male heir to take over the maple syrup dynasty when Mr. Blossom passes it on. And so he goes, like, Cheryl goes to Archie to have him be her date for this very private family Blossom ceremony. First yeah. of all, I just have to say, I love the Blossoms. Cheryl Blossom, love her. I love the parents. Every time they have a Blossom family scene, whether it's like the search and they show up in like this English hunting dog attire with their hunting dogs sniffing out things, or whether they're all standing in red and black and white as they're about to like tap the maple tree. Yeah. Love, love, <laughs> love them. 
One of the things that I really enjoyed about this episode, and I don't think I'm going to get what I want, I really liked how Mr. Blossom was at least pretending to have an interest in Archie as being a wholesome, upstanding person who was trying to do the right thing. Now, in the episode, he basically, uh, Mr. Blossom tells Archie that he like respects him for it and he thinks that he and Cheryl would be a good couple. Well, obviously, Archie and Cheryl are not going to end up in, together in the long run. That's just not likely to happen. But as no. I was watching those scenes, I thought to myself, how great would it be is if even though Archie and Mr. Blossom are probably going to have lots of run-ins, wouldn't it be awesome if this was just sort of an unexpected father-son dynamic where Mr. Blossom sort of sees his son in Archie and over time will maybe help him out just out of the goodwill? Like I said, unlikely to happen. And, or maybe that there will be times when Archie brings out the best in Mr. Blossom and have it just sort of be this low-level relationship that just sort of evolves over years. I am totally not expecting any of that to happen. But in my mind, in my like my version of canon, I'm like, I would really like this to happen. I I was I was really excited. And you guys are going to love this reference that I'm about to throw down because Mr. Blossom was channeling his best David Canary because I was just waiting for him to look at Archie and be like, you're going to be a fine Chandler. And, and see, that like... was like, okay, see, I wasn't thinking Adam Chandler, who is all, one of my all-time favorite characters. I was thinking Edward Quartermain. That's okay, who, yeah. in my head, I was thinking if Mr. Blossom could be the Edward Quartermain to Archie's, say, Oh, this is Brenda. You know how Edward always had a soft spot for Brenda and she could yeah. wrap him around his finger? If they could sort of have that dynamic, but maybe a little bit more contentious, I would so be there for it. Yeah, but the thing is, Edward would never manipulate Brenda or any, like, person. Like He'd like, manipulate Edward... his own daughter. He would manipulate his own daughter and he would manipulate his own family. But when it came to people like Brenda or Robin or like outsiders that were sort of like, well, he, he more... would do it. Lila wouldn't let him. Yeah. It, that, that dynamic got complicated. The only reason I pointed out, uh, Adam... but you're right. Adam is probably a better comparison, but in my, my head, I just thought Edward Quartermain because Adam would totally do it too. Oh, Adam would Adam would manipulate the situation the same way. It would be like, oh, the board at Chandler doesn't want all of this to go on. Oh, Palmer's sniffing around. Oh, the Cortlands are coming. Oh, I better find a male heir for my crazy daughter. Um, it's just like, it's like this old school thing where he doesn't quite trust his female, uh, like daughter or like. A anyone else to kind of run things and it just it's it, I, I i get it it's it's old school soap it's fun to watch at times but it's also like i'm glad it's not working out so well for him and it's about to blow up in his face because at some point the trope needs to evolve and i think this is where uh it begins to evolve because we don't necessarily like aside from victor newman we don't necessarily have any other of those types of characters in the active soaps anymore. Just throwing that one out there. Fair enough. Uh, 
it's so cool to watch and it's so cool to see through the next generation's eyes where you're seeing Cheryl slowly lose it and we're seeing how this affects Polly as she tries to like figure things out for herself um, and how it affects like the different classes with Archie and his family. Well, and Veronica and, and, you know, I mean, Veronica feeling so bad about the fact that her father screwed over her friend's family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then we're seeing it through the Cooper's eyes as well as they all start to lose it. It's amazing to see like an entire family go crazy. It like, is. And, and you know, I love so me. So, I love me some crazy. I love me some crazy. And what's really what's the most shocking for me, and I can't help repeating this. Riverdale does a fantastic job of making me like heroes and heroines. I am not usually a Betty archetype fan i am not usually an archie archetype fan i love betty in well okay love might be a i really enjoy betty i don't know if i go quite go to love yet but i like the character i like her dynamic with jughead i like that she's trying to help her sister and archie even though he's a very white bread character and i love the moments where he has those where he's standing up to mr blossom or he's talking to his father or trying to do the right thing he doesn't do the right thing the right way but he tries and i like that um, I, I i agree 100 percent. and i also think with archie being so white bread it wouldn't make Betty's badass moments or Veronica's badass moments or Jughead's badass moments stand out and flourish as much if we didn't have the the what we consider to be what's supposed to be the main character of like this entire universe as like this white bread who's kind of a moron in love at times and has his own dreams, but he's kind of stuck in the clouds. It, the other characters wouldn't shine as brightly as they are without that. And it's so great to see like all of these different perspectives as everything's unfolding, especially with just all of the, uh, the story elements. I, I keep going back to it, but seeing like the blossoms are this kind of weathering Heights family versus Archie's family. Um, with the Andrews's are kind of like this working class, but then there's also the, the, lodges. the lodges where they're kind of the white collar criminals and the, the Stepfords as um, Jughead said are slowly losing it with the Coopers. And I, I, love, I love the Hatfield and McCoy comparison, but I have to say my absolute favorite moment of the most recent episode was when Cheryl shows up at Archie's door Fred answers it and she goes, my, you're looking dilfy tonight and <laughs> <laughs> walks straight in. And I'm like, I love Cheryl. Just love her. And then at the oh end of the episode, God. when she's like doing the red marker, blotting out Archie and Polly's faces from the photo for where like Archie had been helping her with, uh, had been there for her at the maple tapping. I'm like, Cheryl's going insane, but I really want them to have a redeeming, not a redeeming arc, because a character like Cheryl, you can never really fully redeem them. But I want her to have enough character moments where you sort of feel sorry from her from her standpoint that you get to enjoy her being evil the rest of the time. Any I, final I, thoughts for either of you on Riverdale before we move on? Ginger Judas. <laughs> That's my final thought. Ginger oh. Judas. 
okay. My, my final thought is I'm really enjoying Cheryl as this prototype villain who's kind of doing all like who's kind of xing people out and kind of slowly losing it. That being said, when they go to redeem her, don't redeem her too far. And that's why I said I don't want her redeemed. I just want her to give them to give me enough Cheryl sympathetic moments so that I don't want her to I go don't, full Taylor Townsend. Correct. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Mel, we're nearing the end of the 2016-2017 broadcast season, and with that comes the cancellation on the bubble watch. And every year USA Today does a Save Our Shows campaign where they're having people vote for the shows that they want to stick around. And every year I vote for them knowing a uh, vote for my shows, even no, knowing that USA today probably has absolutely no influence on the studio's decision, but I really need timeless to come back for a second season. So I was like, I'm voting for timeless. I'm voting for timeless. And then the originals, now that the vampire diaries is gone, I'm living for the originals. The, the first three episodes I've caught up on really enjoying it. I need the originals to come back what are you thinking about the on the bubble shows and which do you want to come back, Mel? All I know is that Timeless better get a second season, okay? I need to know what happens on this show because burned in my brain is the one of the final scenes of the finale of when Lucy finds out that her mother is a part of Rittenhouse. Her mother that she's been trying to save and trying to get her sister back and do all of these things and defeat Rittenhouse is Rittenhouse as well. She is the spawn of this Rittenhouse like dynasty almost. Baby. Yes, dynasty. This Rittenhouse dynasty. And she doesn't realize it. I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Because she's just sitting there. She's just staring like, oh my God. Oh my God, I can't believe this. And if it had been me, as soon as her mama... As soon as my mom would have been like, Rittenhouse wouldn't allow it, I'd have ran. I'd have got the hell out. I'd be like, I'm leaving. I got to go. I can't be here because we just did all this. And you're a part of Rittenhouse, too. So I just, there's so much. There's so much that I need to know about what happens on Timeless. And I feel like this was such a good take on time travel. It was kind of original. And I just need I, I need more episodes of Timeless. That's all I'm saying. Is just Timeless needs a second season. Somebody make it happen. Dan, which on the bubble shows do you want to come back? Um, I'm I'm with Mel on this one. I'm I'm four or five episodes left in Timeless oh, right now. Sorry, Dan. Spoiler alert. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I, I had my suspicion, so it's fine. Um, but here's the question. Is the mother part like part of Rittenhouse in both realities or just the one? I feel as though part of the the scheme, if I had to guess, was to restore the mother. Mm -hmm. Well, no, but that's what I'm saying. Like she goes and talks to her mother about how things have changed. And in, the, in, in her present reality, the mother reveals that she's part of Rittenhouse. The question is, though, if she were to actually get back to the reality where her sister is alive and her mother is the one who's having the health problems, would her mother be part of Rittenhouse in that reality? Because that could be an entirely different scenario if the mother knows nothing about it. Right. I, I, 
I, I, I think I, I she don't... is written house. Like I think she's written house in every timeline there is, but that's just me. Okay. I I personally don't know. I feel as though I like because I'm missing the last four episodes. Uh, How dare I, you? Hey, hey, hey! I caught up on all sorts of shows that you guys were recommending. And, and were I'm, we wrong about them? Dan no. didn't even want to watch Timeless, and he finally sat <laughs> down and watched it, and he was like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "We tried to tea." Yeah, I mean, I I've been checking out more and more shows lately. I watched the first episode and powered through this of Powerless, and it was awful. I, I never like, watched Powerless. That was not oh, one. Was I, so that bad. was not what you can not blame that one on me, my friend. No, no, that one's not on you. That one's on me. That one was me me being like, all right, at least I gave this a shot. Let me try this. Oh, it's bad. Here's the thing about Timeless. If NBC does not renew it, I think that sci-fi needs to snap it up. It's the same family. It would go perfectly with Dark Matter, Winona Earp, which are returning on June 9th. It would go great with Killjoys, which is returning on the 30th. Sharknado's coming back on August 6th. Are you guys looking forward to Sharknado? Are you in for every one of those movies, Mel? As Jamie says, no, I don't want to watch Sharktopussy. Okay. (laughs) Dan, are you a Sharknado fan? I I enjoy them, but in like an ironic way. Like they're, they're... How else are you supposed to enjoy Sharknado other than ironically? Well, I... I mean, I've seen like film critics try and break it down and it just it it doesn't work if you try and think too hard on it. It's one of those things you just need to turn your brain off and then sometimes also turn your television off. Um, But yeah, no, I, I I've seen the first three. I need to watch the fourth one at some point. But the fact that there's a fifth one says a lot. I in terms of things I'm looking forward to, I'm more looking forward to. Fate of the Furious this weekend. Cannot wait. We will be discussing that yes. next week. Um, Mel, are you going to be able to make it to it before Sunday? Uh, I, don't make me lie to you because I really don't know. Oh, no worries. I, I, but I, I can't wait. I can... It's like modern day superheroes. I, I, I'm looking forward to it. That being said, Sunday being Easter and stuff. Oh, I, I, I don't know about if Easter. Be... Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. Uh, no worries. Yeah. Um, before we wrap this up, we only have a couple minutes left. Mel, I want I'm assuming you've watched Beauty and the Beast. Oh my god, yes. I know how much you were looking forward to it. Did it live up to your every hope, dream and aspiration? It was better than I thought it was going to be. It was fantastic. So I um, I went to Paisley Fest in LA and I ended up watching Beauty and the Beast when I was in LA. So it was fantastic beauty and the beast is my favorite childhood movie point blank period it's the one i used to watch on repeat over and over over and over i don't even think the vhs i have plays anymore it doesn't matter that it's 2017 but if we had a vcr it wouldn't play not the point so i knew we were in for a treat when the opening scene started and everyone in the theater was singing tale as old as time i was like oh my god i cannot wait this is fantastic and just Watching it, it made me feel like I was five again. The music, you know, they kept a lot of it the same and they added a few things here or there. And what they added didn't take you out of the story. And they added a character or two. They added Audrey McDonald. I mean, you can't go wrong there, but not the point. It just, it was so great. 
so much nostalgia. It was beautiful. I just, I loved Beauty and the Beast. I would go see it 12 more times. Fantastic. Okay. Final thought, Dan? Um, I... Yeah, no, Beauty and the Beast was really good. I I was very surprised. I was very skeptical that about the the movie, but I really enjoyed it. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to uh, the next few that Disney has to offer. On that note, we'd encourage you to comment on this episode at geekconfidential.com. Follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash gkconfidential. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash gkconfidential. Melody, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at my name, Melody Akles, M-E-L-O-D-I-E-A-I-K-E-L-S. Dan, where can they find you? Uh, Real Dan Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E. And as always, you can find me at Luke underscore Kurt. We thank you for listening. Until next time, so long. Bye, y'all. Bye.